Well, we had five pieces at thisiscommonsense.org. Again, flawlessly tracking Monday through Friday. We have not missed the number of days to do a script Monday through Friday in years. In 20 years, not once have we come up with four scripts or six scripts. We hit five right on the nail every single week. That's kind of true, except that, except for the times when you punt on holidays. So is that? I, I think punting on holidays makes that kind of hash, but that's just me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we'll have. I wonder if we're going to be we're going to be kind of, you know, airbrushing you out of some of the photographs now. So. <laughs> Well, well, we did have five scripts and we started with maybe the good news. You know, we usually like to kind of end the week with the feel good story of the week. But maybe we started the week with a feel good story because we had mass private transit. And this is a piece where I just grabbed the. I mean, it's like you, you hardly could could fail to bump into a story in The Washington Post about how the transit system is completely screwed up and there's no management and there's no accountability and it's just gobs of cash flowing all over the place. And, oh, my goodness, but they need more tax dollars and a bigger commitment uh, because they've earned nothing, no trust whatsoever. That, that ought to equate with bunches, billions of more dollars. And so it's just kind of pathetic because there's no marketplace. There's nothing to drive you know the the service oh we should go over here because we'll we can actually make money over there they don't care about making money it's it's just a sad commie-esque uh way to do business and uh and yet in amongst all that other coverage here was a private company that pumped six billion with a b six billion dollars into a route it's called the bright line and uh and they're looking to do more it's like they're investing they're expecting a return on their investment they're going to make money they have a rail line that goes from miami to orlando and uh those highways you know it's a long state and there's people on both uh both coasts but there's not much in the middle and it's you know, the kind of the hub in the middle halfway or a little bit more up the state is Orlando. And so you can see how that could work. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that there's all kinds of different transportation processes that could that could make money that could work. But that's working, making money. And if they if it's constantly subsidized, it just tells you something that this is not where society's dollars are demanding that you be. And, and you ought to listen. Now, maybe there's some overarching reason, but it's just been a complete disaster. And yet here is 235 miles of private track that's going to make money. And, and I just have some confidence that it's going to take people back and forth in a way that they like, because I know that the people that invested are going to insist they want their money back and profit. So they don't want you to run a slipshot thing that has to run around begging everybody for money. Um, so that that was the feel-good story of uh, less begging, the feel-good story of the week. What you're talking about, though, is that comparing it, Washington, D.C. is just horrendous 
mess and doomed mess of a mass transit system. I'm not sure you made that completely clear. Uh, over the yes. years, you have been dogging that company or that metro department. I mean, they've had all sorts of scandals. I mean, scandal yes. after scandal. And of course, they waste money like most of these metro systems do. And uh, it's just interesting. Uh, and, and it's nice to see a private enterprise actually swoop in. But, you know, in an area that's filled with subsidy as a way of life, you can see why private enterprise maybe would want to avoid an area like that. But Florida is now a different kind of area in part because of just how they reacted to COVID and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, this must have been going on for a long time, this, this bright line. Yes. Yes. No, they have, but, but um, I, I think that there's with, a, with the highways also getting kind of falling into disrepair and, and it's not so much disrepair, but when, when you have a highway that's four lanes, two lanes going each way in interstate, and you've got 20 million people in a hundred mile, you know, stretch of it living. And then all of a sudden you got 40 million people and it's the same stretch and you're on a crawl on that. That is disrepair in the sense that that's, I mean, I think we ought to be going, Hey, wait, I pay tax dollars. I'm a customer. Why am I in traffic all the time? And in my area, they've gone to hot lanes, which are private. You got to pay money to be on those lanes. And the speed limit is faster on those lanes. I'm sure they have some really high bright excuse for that, but mainly it's financial to make money. And, uh, and, and I kind of hate to go to a, I, I don't mind private enterprise then saying, okay, we have tiers and you can have a really fancy highway. Fine. I don't like two-tier public stuff uh, where they want to kind of have it private so you can have special things, but we're going to subsidize it publicly. Uh, but but anyway, we got to do something on the transportation front. And I remember as a libertarian uh, many decades ago, I won't mention how many, um, and people would go, oh, yes, you guys want to privatize the roads. And, you know, it was such a silly notion at that point, because I, I had at that point I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, and the federal government had nicely built us a, a uh, uh, you know, uh, um, I can't, I've lost my words. What is uh, a uh, wheel around the city? A uh, uh -huh. the, the beltway, you know, it was, which is what it is here. But I'm trying to think of what we called it there. But anyway, man, but it's, it, it basically, there were parts of it that it was out in the country because there wasn't, it wasn't now. Now it's not so much today. All kinds of stuff built up ar around it. But at that point, when you have, People just coming in and building super highways. Of course, you're not looking for some solution to your transportation problem. It's showing up at your door. Um, that has changed, and and government has constantly continued to collect taxes, but not produce the the they they want everyone on mass transit, and they have ignored the roads, and they've gotten worse and worse. And so, of course, people are going to push for privatization, as well they should. And now. It's nice to see it in an area that you haven't seen nearly as much. Tuesday's piece was not about public transportation, but about a public servant who was trying to get out of Congress. Uh, that's what he said anyway. He wasn't telling the truth, I don't think. This is funny because it, it 
very quickly, everyone wanted to make it to where it was accidental. And it's pretty obvious that he pulled the fire alarm to stop the proceedings. And, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not, I don't want this guy to spend the rest of his life in prison for pulling a fire alarm or for us to go crazy about it. I think when you're a member of Congress, there's a certain expectation that you're not a two-year-old because that's kind of a two-year-old type thing to do. Um, but it's it's funny that it there's like defense of it as if as if there's nothing wrong. And in many ways, it is the same thing as most of what we've seen people do on January 6th. There's some of it that's that I think is much more than that that happened on January 6th. But again, that's like it it it'd be like if you look at the Black Lives Matter rallies and we use that term, there were hundreds and hundreds of rallies that were Black Lives rally uh, uh, marches that there was no bad behavior. There was no destruction of property. There was because I was in a couple different marches that I would would not be at all surprised if they were referred to that way. They may have had people that were there from Black Lives Matter. And and uh, so it's, it you know, the same is true of January 6th. And and you see where the mainstream media, there's a fire behind them. And the, the Black Lives Matter rallies were mainly peaceful. On the January 6th, it's they were all insurrectionists and and you know, and that's not true. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, people who who did violent acts on that day, uh, you know, deserve to get bad things. And this guy deserves some sort of accountability. But it's it's you know, when you when you live in this, you know, tit for tat, insane political world, you kind of feel you feel sorry for both sides, I guess. So you're talking about Representative Jamal Bowman. A Democrat yeah. in New York, and uh, it did remind me of. In one way, it sort of reminds me of uh, January six because uh, he allegedly misidentified the function of a of a piece of a thing, a thing being a fire alarm, which he pulled. And uh, I remember seeing CNN uh, calling the January six uh, protesters armed because they were carrying flagpoles, uh, and they misidentified a, a thing as uh, something very different from what it was it's it's uh we live in a fun world yes yes well and then wednesday we had a the piece is entitled america's mayor celebrates communism this is a, a some ways a small little thing nobody no no uh animal or person was killed in the making of this uh commentary or in the press conference the celebration the public event uh, that Mayor Eric Adams of New York City attended, uh, celebrating the anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China, which has been a brutal dictatorship, as I point out. And, you know, you got 100 million people killed and so on. And, and of course, I remember back uh, in, the, in the 70s, there were times that people had Mao on their T-shirt as kind of a cool guy. Cool guy killing 100 million people. Um, and not all just by starving him to death through his stupidity. Some of some of it by vicious, brutal, let's kill people because you're a sick, deranged person. 
And it's especially so this is America's mayor celebrates communism. And of course, if you're the mayor of New York City, you're kind of America's mayor. And uh, but the left and people like Eric Adams, not that he represents the entire left, but he's on the left. And and he does represent this sort of identity politics, this sort of I only identify in the perfect politically correct way. How you then go to an event like this is just beyond me. And you, at a certain point, you have to wonder, are we so blind to communism? And, and we, I'm not talking about, oh, there's a, there's a communist hiding under your bed or something, but I'm talking about the guys who they have a flag and everything in the, a country and a hundred million casualties that they can kind of claim. They don't claim it, but we'll give it to them. And it's like, how do you miss that? And is it stupidity? Is it that you love kind of big government, commie ideas so much that even when it results in just vicious, ugly, sickening stuff that's, oh, man. Um, and, and of course, no real commentary about this other than in a tiny slice of American life. No mainstream, hey, he should have thought to have said more or not to have attended. It's not even talked about. I mean, and, and think about it. Um, I can remember being at college and my mom was kind of a right winger, very much anti-communist, you know, very libertarian, but but certainly certainly conservative, religiously, socially and you know, and the commies weren't, she didn't think there was anything cool or neat about them. And, uh, but I remember when I was at college, I told her, you know, on one phone call or something that, that, uh, well, you know, how are your political science groups? And they're all communists. Oh, Paul, don't talk like that. And, uh, and I said, no, 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 mom, they're, they're communists. They're, you ask them, what are you? They don't say socialist. They don't say, you know, uh, I had one professor that uh, was trying to form a young socialist alliance on the uh, on a nearby campus as I was forming a young libertarian alliance. So we compared notes. But another one who's who's his, his I asked him, he was a political theory professor. That he, that's the class I had. And he went through all these different forms of government. I said, well, you know, professor, which one do you think's the best? And his response was crude communism. And by by that, he meant the Soviet Union at that time. At least, he, at least he was a realist. He didn't have his head up in the clouds. But it just, you know, what do you do? What do you do when you... And, and that was the 1970s, late 70s. I'm not as old as some people who are older. But, uh, but, but what do you do? That's post Solzhenitsyn. There's no, I didn't see, I didn't know what the government's doing. It's kind of like you got to break some eggs. You got to break some dissidents' heads and beat them and torture them. You just got to, hey, we hate to do it, but you got to torture people. You got to rip their nails out. You got to put them in a tiger chair. It's like, and this is, this is what happens all over the world. I mean, that's not. You know, this isn't just a few places that do this, but when you think of a place with nuclear weapons 
and with a usually powerful army that's threatening war against all kinds of people and would like to run the world like China, the fact that the people running our part of the world are completely clueless or worse is really a problem and it needs to be pointed out and we're here to do that (laughs) i guess so i just read a passage from engels uh recently uh in which he talked about this of course marx and engels the the the, the pair of the the fountainhead of all the greatness of communism and uh, he talked about liquidating (laughs) the basques for instance, he talked about several populations, whole populations to be killed off because they were just not, they were too far into the feudal era. They had not gone into capitalism far enough. So they would be reluctant and inappropriate citizens of a socialist state. Therefore, they had to be killed. That's the temper of communism. They take no joy in it, but <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Kick the Can <laughs> is the title of the Thursday piece, and it has a picture here of uh, Matt Gates looking all very American on the House floor. Yes, very uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Do you know, uh, years ago, I came to Washington. I've come to Washington actually actually a couple different times in my life. But I moved up here from Arkansas to take a job working on term limits before U.S. term limits started in 1991. And then in 92, I was living in Washington when U.S. term limits started, and we ended up putting 14 states on the ballot. It was, uh, you know, by by the time we got to election day, it was pretty darn exciting stuff. And I sent, um, I talked, my boss was pretty cheap, into uh, uh, sending VHS, that was the, the going technology at the time, but VHS copies of Mr. Smith goes to Washington uh, to all kinds of reporters uh, as we got close to the election, which, you know, was a, was a nice touch, I thought. And, uh, and, and that's what everybody's looking for. And the interesting thing is these eight guys who voted, I think, I think everyone pretty much expected that some Democrats were going to vote for McCarthy to just kind of move, let's move along. We're moving along. And they didn't. Now, why Republicans would think Democrats were, you know, just planning to wait? Can we? Can we? When? When is it time for us to help out the Republicans? I, I don't know who talked the Republicans into that. And of course, maybe it's just somebody's wild speculation. But that's that's one of the scenarios that I've heard. But but I think these candidates, like a lot of people, think, um, well, their constituents ought to throw them out for upsetting the house and blah, 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 except step back for a half a second. And isn't, don't we want, aren't we all trying to send people to Washington who say, wait, stop, this is crazy. We have to stop this. And so it's, it's very tough. I don't think this hurts any of those candidates in their district. Um, And in fact, the only way it hurts them is if they lose money from leadership. These are not ideological parties, not in Washington. They may be ideological when they get together and talk politics. And I'm talking about real people who care about issues and might get passionately involved in those issues. And and if they have a social media system that encourages discord and that and that 
polices people to make it even more for, you know, frustrating and more people more likely to say something they shouldn't say. And if you have a political system that's completely dead, well, then that discourse is going to get more and more rotten. But the, the truth is most of our political discourse is about ideas in the real world of people who aren't political for a living and aren't elected officials sitting at the top of the gravy train in Washington. It's all about money. And the reason that the leadership is the leadership is because people don't want to buck them because then they got to go out and raise a bunch of money. In fact, they might even have to raise extra because the leadership will buck their, will back their opponent and put money behind it. And, and that's, that's what this is all about. And so a lot of the, a lot of the campaign finance stuff, is it, it's talked about as if it's a bunch of companies running around with suitcases full of money saying, oh, we need this, so let's go give money and we'll control everything. The financial uh, uh, chokehold is not big business on politicians twisting them around and telling them what they're going to do. It's much more on leadership politicians in Congress, controlling their membership and others. And that happens at the state level, too. It's one of the best things term limits has done is to make it to where speakers and Senate presidents and majority leaders don't have as much power because they're not going to be there forever. And that reduces their overall power. And it needs to be reduced because in most legislative bodies, your representative is likely to have zero say so. And so you can elect whoever you want, but he's got no say so. The leadership has all the say so. With term limits, that doesn't happen so much because the the power of those leaders is reduced and therefore everything's a, a, a little bit more equal. Now, this piece, Kick the Can, is about Gates uh, ousting or the, the, the House ousting right. uh, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, and it was all done because Gates barely allowed him into the first place. I mean, Gates has an amazing amount of power in as, you know, has a, a, you know, a minority of one and he has a, a few close comrades and with a willingness to use it. Yes. That's I mean, anybody else could have the same power pretty much. And that's if an they were willing to use it. And he's doing it because he didn't like the way that budgetary matters were handled right. leading up right. to the crisis of, you know, the perennial crisis of the, the, the debt limit. So the ousted. McCarthy. McCarthy's on the outs. Now they're, I hear Jim Jordan uh, is making a campaign to become uh, the speaker. At the end of your piece, uh, there's some Joko's uh, thoughts about uh, the funny idea of uh, hiring Trump to do the job. Uh, by the way, I don't think he'd do a very good job. I don't think speaker is his job. No, I just but, see but the truth is he, he knows how to work people some. He wouldn't be he would want to do a good job. He wouldn't. Um, you know, he is such a from kind of a social interaction standpoint. He's such an arrogant jerk loser. And yet from a I want to be successful and get something done standpoint, if I had to sit down and work with him. I would not, it's not the worst person you might have to sit down and work with because you're going to know he is going to be serious about how do you solve this problem? And of course, so many problems in politics, 
they're going to get scared if they think you're serious about solving it because it's working great for both sides. What are you trying to do? Solve the problem and and it's gone. We want it here to help both sides. And that's that's you know some of the big issues. And it, it's not like immigration would be super easy uh, if if it wasn't this way. But by not solving it, both sides have increased. It's like they're increasing their their position on it, except all of a sudden a dam broke this week. And that's our last commentary is don't fence me in. Uh, and with that question mark, which, of course, as we joke all the time, brings people in. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's an inside joke. But uh, I, I love Jim's uh, uh, graphic here on this one. Uh, do not come. Uh, but all of a sudden, the, the Biden administration, and in fact, uh, Mayorkas, who uh, who they've wanted to, you know, the House has wanted to impeach and who has constantly said there's no problem at the border. But all of a sudden, not only is there a problem at the border, they want to build a wall. A wall, for heaven's sake. But they're not calling it a wall. They call it a barricade, right? A barrier. A barrier, yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's where it gets funny. I've never been <clears throat> really a proponent of a wall. I don't know enough about the, you know, the different costs of different ways. I'm all for, you know, knowing who's coming across the border. And I kind of hate, you know, look, I'm, I'm, you know, my wife's always locking all the doors. I'm always thinking, you know, we got nothing for anybody to take. So, uh, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not worried about things generally. I'm not a big, oh, we've got to lock everything up. But it does make sense in this day and age to know what's coming across the border and have kind of a sign-in sheet and so on. And, you know, some of the things that you hear that I've never seen really reported on big TV newscasts or, you know, on exposés in the Washington Post and stuff. But there's there's thousands of, of Chinese nationals that come across the southern border. And I'm convinced most of them are here because they wanted to get the heck out of there and they're very happy to be here. And I'm happy for them to be here. Uh, we got to figure out a, a process where that works. But it's but it's it's the sort of thing that the problem is not that we have people flocking here. It's a sign that there's something good here. Let's try to keep that going. And these are the are for the most part the people we want. Now the problem is there are also a bunch of thugs, a bunch of MS13 people, and so on. Those are not the people you want. Um, and those are the, those, those are the sort of people that if you get one out of 10, those people, you're, you're willing to forego the other nine, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, we love you, but don't come because we don't want the MS-13 or whoever it is, you know, there's, there's thugs in every, every uh, community, every culture, every race and religion, unfortunately, but, but this failure to treat it like, like they just pretend it's not there. This has been hundreds of thousands of people coming over in a month in one little section, 50,000 people in a month. You know, it's it's they they there was one part in the uh, it, it didn't make it into this commentary, but it was in the Post article uh, about uh, or the New York Times article that uh, 50,000 Venezuelans came across last month. 
Um, it's it's like they've gone uh, to the second largest group. And why? Well, because the country's falling apart. But it's it's and, and so the, the the solution isn't well. We just you know we we wall off everything. But the solution is at a certain point that you have to wall it off. At a certain point, you do have to, you know, apprehend people who are coming across or anyone can come across with anything. And so you've got you've got really half of the equation, the Democrats, who have become more libertarian than the libertarian open borders people in terms of not only. Can you not do anything to stop people from coming in? But you have to facilitate it. You have to give them the right to vote. You have to you have to provide all kinds of services. You have to do a lot of other things. And and all of a sudden, I think they've the the people who get elected for a living have decided that we can't continue to pull the scam. Now, one of those people is Adams, the guy who was uh, celebrating the communists uh, a few days earlier. And, he, and, he's, and now he's uh, one of the many uh, major city politicians who object to having uh, illegal aliens shipped to his city because they don't have enough services. And this is where I disagree with all my libertarian friends uh, because I don't regard this as open immigration. I regard the whole subject as subsidized Im- immigration. And I also believe in something that most libertarians will never talk about, ever talk about, except the Hoppians, who I kind of admire for it. And that's the problem. I'd like to hear what it is, because I'm not sure I admire them for much else. But anyway, go Well, ahead. I think that... Uh, They're kind of anti-democratic so much, and, and to a oh. degree that I think is kind of crazy. Well, yeah, well, that's not the, the point. He believes that right. uh, a, a free society, you kick out the people that are undesirable. And it's basically a question of property rights and uh, vagrancy. And here, here we're dealing with people who are dirt poor. Now, if if people were coming in with ten thousand dollars, you know, or pesos or whatever, and and, just, and and well enough that they could they could check themselves into a motel and start looking for work right away, none of this would be an issue. That's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people who are dirt poor, who are then having to be housed because otherwise they're on the street. I believe that people sleeping on the street should be actually treated as vagrants and that you put them in jail and then you put them on the outside of town and they have to move on and that you have to rely on charity. These people don't deserve a bit of public money, whether it's a person from the country, our country or from somewhere else. So that's right. a vagrancy issue. I have four vagrancy laws. And uh, I think well, people... I, I do think I do think that you don't have to let people sleep on the street. And and just ruin cities and so on. That's not so. No one has a right to do right, that. Right. Um, but and and I do think that I want to live in a society in which people are helped and they're not starving on the edge of town and so on. But you do have to you, you have to have some responsibility for people. You can't treat people like oh, the more dysfunctional you are, the more I have to fall over myself to try to enable your dysfunction. Yeah. And and we have sent messages to come that yes. we we basically told people don't go through our legal stupid immigration process, just come here the other way. And and what that has done is also we, you know, I still think most of the people who come across illegally are 
pretty good people who want a better life and who I'd love to be able to help provide that. At the same time, when they know that there's nothing that happens, all the crooks come too. And it's we have created a situation in which the percentage of people coming across who are the wrong sort is at like an all-time high because why wouldn't it be? You know, it, it and it's, they're being subsidized. This is the point I keep yes, on making. Yes, they no, are exactly being subsidized. Right. And, and and there's no penalty for you know for crime and stuff. You hear all the you know, it, it, it and, and sometimes maybe these stories are overstated and our system isn't as lax as we're hearing our criminal justice system. But if that's the story everybody hears, guess what? The criminals believe it and they say, hey, let's go there. There's a lot of money and they're lax. They'll give us money to hang out and rob them. And then when they find out we've robbed them, they won't do much of anything about it. It's like heaven for criminals, you know? So it, it there's a lot going on here. I don't have all the answers for, you know, from a, a, a libertarian standpoint and a hard standpoint, anybody who gets to these shores, I hate to kick them out. And yet at the same time, you realize there are, there are 100, 200, 300, 500, 800 million people in this world that if they knew for sure they could come and they would not be kicked out might come. I mean, at a certain point, you have to, you have to have some sense as to not saying, Hey, charge and everybody tramples all over everybody else. And, and, you know, there are constituents, the American people kind of have a right to decide how they want that process to work. And, you know, it, it, it if you believe in, that you can say no to some people. Well, then now we're talking about who gets in and who doesn't. The current system is a mess and the Democrats have liked it because they've been playing the uh, anarcho-tyranny element. Uh, they, yes. they didn't mind when the, uh, Texas and uh, California, uh, especially Texas uh, and some Southern states were getting the overflow. But when they get the overflow, then they objected and very quickly they changed their policy. And it makes, of course, Biden look like a damn fool. I'm so glad you hit that right on the head because this piece uh, makes a real point at the, at the end. And I hope I hope it worked because it's kind of understated, but I think it's clear to everybody. I hope I hope they read it and enjoy it. Uh, but that's the thing that's so funny here. I thought, you know, when I first heard about the buses going north and of course, you know, the federal government has planes and buses and stuff doing the same thing. That, that they're doing in tech, the Texas Governor Abbott and and uh, DeSantis in Florida are doing. But so it's not like this is unheard of. But I thought, boy, this could be a PR disaster. And it looks like you're kind of using these people as pawns and so on. And instead, because the sanctuary cities where everybody cares so much were clueless as to what to do or to do anything about this, it's become a huge mess. And so every time they scream in Washington and New York, the governor of Texas and Florida kind of say, that's what we were trying to tell you. And it it just has made them look so silly. And I've not really seen, you know, in, in partisan media, you've seen some people make fun of them, but not, I mean, the entire media should. Saturday Night Live should have uh, a number of skits 
making fun of how completely ridiculous the mayors in Washington and New York look and how ridiculous Biden looks to be saying there's no problem, no problem, no problem. Now we're going to waive the Clean Water Act and the safe drinking water and the and we're going to the Environmental Endangered Species Act. And we're going to throw every bit of liberal stuff that we forced everybody else to live with out the window so we can build Trump's wall. It's just beyond belief. Thank you for joining us at This Week in Common Sense. That's the podcast where we talk about Paul's five pieces that he writes during the week at Common Sense with Paul Jacob. That's at thisiscommonsense.org. My name is Timothy Verkula. I'm just here to help. The big story is always at thisiscommonsense.org.